Tony is trying to coast to, you know, the finish line, very Light and McQueen-esque of trying to win the race. <laughs> you pulled out a Cars reference? I did, I did. It's a great movie. <laughs> Brings him off the corner, we go green flag racing. Jelly going to pull the slide job on him off a turn number four. The slide job on Race Pro Radio, brought to you by DMC Racing Products, race to win. Hello and welcome to the slide job here on Race Pro Radio. I'm Bobby Chalmers, and I hope you're staying safe right now during this uncertain time in our country. However, am I allowed to say this? Who's ready to get back to the track? In this week's episode, we talk with someone who's not relying on his last name to make his way in the racing world. He's a winner in several different classes, and this season, well, when we finally get things underway, wants to chase the UMP modified national title. The last race he attempted was the Chili Bowl, back in January in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but he's ready to get back to racing as soon as he can. But before we talk with him, we have to give a shout out to Powderworth, the commercial and industrial powder coating company based in Marathon, New York. Powderworth achieves outstanding finishes designed to outlast the products they run. No matter what you need coated, the folks at Powderworth strive to meet and beat the standards set by industry leaders. Give them a call today at 607 760 8405 and check out the powder worth difference. Now, if you're ready, let's catch up with third generation driver Daniel Sanchez. Daniel, seriously, oh, thanks for being here today. Um, first of all, how are you? How's your family with everything that's going on right now with the with the coronavirus pandemic and stuff? I mean, how are you guys doing? Um, my family's all healthy. We're we're good, and uh, we've been you know practicing social distancing, and so hopefully we can get to uh, racing here soon. And um, actually, my mom is a front lines uh, worker in the healthcare industry uh, as a respiratory therapist, so she sees everybody that comes in uh, that has the virus and uh, into her work anyway. And uh, it is a scary time. I know uh, she's been pretty stressed out about it, but you know everybody's kind of rolling with the punches here so i i do appreciate everybody that's that's on the front lines that's putting all this time and effort into keeping us all safe and healthy now unfortunately due to the coronavirus and what's going on um you didn't really get to enoh your last year at unoh the university of northwestern ohio um congratulations i mean obviously you're, you're going to be graduating this year but is it a disappointment to you that you didn't get to do more things in your final year there, or are you just like, you know what, let's get let's get on. I want to, you know, get on to the next part of my life. Um, well, I uh, I was able to walk for my tech graduation when I graduated from the tech side of the school, so I was able to experience the graduation ceremony itself. So that was cool. But being in the last year of of my school, I was really looking forward to just spending time with some of my friends before we all moved in our own direction and <laughs> and you know I've, I've already had a lot of friends graduate and they're you know they're off doing their own thing and it, it, people are busy so it is tough we don't get to talk to you know the friends that you know we had in college as much as we want to but um i did miss out with we were just getting ready to go to new orleans for my last time with the american marketing association at, at campus and um they ended up canceling it the day before we were supposed to leave. Oh, and it was a good decision on the part of the school to keep us safe. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest disappointment overall. But I'm glad that the University of Northwestern Ohio is putting on the virtual college, um, virtual graduation. Um, we appreciate it. It's better than doing nothing at all. 
now you're not officially done yet, right? You still have a little bit left before uh, before you actually officially graduate, though, right? Yeah, I have uh, five weeks left. Um, grades are looking pretty good, so I don't think they're gonna have <laughs> have anything else to say other than I graduated. So we should be all right. <laughs> Let's get to the topic at hand. Obviously, being a racing podcast, um, the first time I ever saw you behind the wheel of a race car was when you hopped into a four-cylinder and you were getting ready to line up by my parts truck on a Saturday night at Lebanon Valley. Did you always want to be a driver? Did you always want to be in racing or just because, like, the family was into racing? Or was this something that you kind of said, you know what, Dad, Mom, I want to do this? Yeah, I uh, going to the races on the Saturday night was what I lived for as a kid. Um with especially Lebanon Valley with the carnival style, you know, set up with the concessions and the, you know, um, they always had pre-race festivities, whether it be a bounce house or backpack giveaway for school. <laughs> you know, I was excited to go as a kid. Well, the first night, uh, me, my mom, and my sister all went together. One of the big events we looked forward to, you know, there was three big events as a kid that I looked forward to going to more so than a regular Saturday night was the Eve of Destruction, Monster Jam, and, um, the Mr. Dirt Race, the 200 lapper, and I was always excited when my dad would let me go watch. You know, we'd go cheer on J.R. Hefner, and uh, <laughs> um, the first time me and my my mom and my sister got to go to the races together, my sister was really young; she was only three. Uh, it was the Eve, Eve of Destruction, and my dad won the race. Ironically enough, we're all together. <laughs> it's our first time at the races. My dad wins the race, and that was just the best feeling ever. And just from that moment on, I was like, "Yep, I want to do this." Anybody that doesn't know, your dad's Danny Sanchez. He's a former track champion in the Pro Stocks 11 Valley. I think he's. I think Brian Bedell told me he's sixth on the all-time Pro Stock list. Um, your grandfather is a former limited sportsman champion at the track. You, between your uncles and your cousins and everybody, I mean, the Sanchez name has has been around there for a while. Do you like following in their footsteps? Or is this more along the lines of you saying, you know what, I just want to forge my own path. I want to do this my own way. I don't want to be just known as Danny Sanchez's son. I want to be known as Daniel Sanchez. Yeah, um, my, I mean, both being track champions, they set a pretty good clear path for me on a way to be successful in the sport. And, you know, growing up, and I, I did get to race the pro stocks for a little while um, before I moved to college, and um, that was – awesome following their footsteps i really you know i was following their same path that they took through and but going out and doing something different in ohio and indiana and uh that area it's been pretty neat we've learned a lot we've we've um carved I've, that's kind of allowed me to carve my own path really as well and kind of make my mark on the the racing industry and uh we've met a lot of great friends out there and we miss everybody at Lebanon Valley and, and Malta and just home in general um, but moving forward and I mean that's what we have to do at this point and just see how far we can get in the sport as far as moving up wise and we've uh, now moved up into the UMP Modifieds and uh, that has been a heck of a learning experience let me tell you. For you for your progression from the four cylinder you ended up going into the pure stocks um, you got your, in 2012, you got your first win. Brian Bedell actually kind of gave me one nugget of fact when, from that year, in the last eight races that you ran that year, you started to show consistency. You finished in the top three, five out of the eight, those eight races. 
that. I mean, the whole premise of saying, you know what, I'm a racer at Lebanon Valley, mm-hmm. that had to be awesome for you. Yeah, that's uh, Brian is full of facts. I used to, <laughs> I used to quiz him on Saturday nights just to see if he actually knew what he was talking about. And let me tell you, I fact checked him every time, and he was never wrong, not he, once. There's it, no reason to fact check him because I mean, he, there's I, he can't. He's got to know everything. Well, I said there's no way you can remember that race from 2001. It's 2012. There's no <laughs> way you remember that. He did. <laughs> he everything to the T. He had it, but uh, the first win I actually got at Lebanon Valley in a, in a pure stock. Uh, I had family come up from New Jersey and Wisconsin, and they were from from all over. And you know, it just it was like, man, there's a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> but it was it was fun, and uh, we got the first win, and it was awesome to have everybody there, and just you know, memories that are going to last a lifetime, and. I'm going to be grateful for him forever. And uh, it was actually the night of the Boomers Clash. So he finished in, I think, the top seven in one of the Pure Sock races that night. You got to race the Boomers Clash. Well, I had started on the front. I won the Pure Sock one race, and I went and started on the front row of the Boomers Clash. And that's a 20-lap race. And compared to what we were racing between 8 and 12 laps, um... I had always cheered for Phil Wood in the pure stocks growing up and I still talk to him this day. And, you know, (laughs) you know, everybody talks about Phil Wood being, being a rough racer. And that's what I loved about it. Watching him grow up. Well, I'll tell you what, when he was beating my back bumper in the boomers clash, didn't like it as much. (laughs) Um, You know, it was fun and it was really cool to be able to finally get to race with him. But he, uh, he did get by me. (laughs) The following year, you and your family put together a very potent car. It had a really good brand. You got a new car, and you put together a brand new motor. And I I don't mean this in any bad way, but it seemed like you either put the thing in victory lane or you were in the wall put it, trying to go for the lead <laughs> so you could get to victory lane. I mean, you ended up with the most wins that year, but, I mean, that, that car just – that year you just seemed to be on the whole time and you and your dad and your crew everybody in that car just seemed to be on all the time yeah we we uh it was a great year you talked about uh my first year in pure stocks the last few races there um silly had been putting a tune-up on our engine for us and and he had built us a new motor for for the following year in 2013 and that thing was just an absolute rocket ship we had a great car um you know my dad's a very knowledgeable person so i'm you know, he's got knowledge that's second to none, really, and right. uh, he's always had a good setup for me, and um, I always bust their chops. when They'll bust my chops that, you know, why didn't you win? I, well, I, was, I say, well, you're only as good as the people setting your car up. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, truthfully, I've always had a good shot in any race I've been in because of people like my dad, and I've got a lot of great friends that have helped out, too, that, you know, put a great setup in it, so. The end of that year... You guys ended up getting you a couple of starts in the pro stocks. Dad had a car, and you decided to, to, to take a shot. You ended up finishing ninth in the Langenbach Memorial that year. What was more satisfying for you, saying that you were a dominant car in the pro stock or in the pure stock class, or running well in the pro stocks? Because I mean, you obviously you were looking long term with the pro stocks and what you wanted to do, but I mean, what? What was more gratifying for you that year? Um, well, 
the competition was stout in both classes. You got in the pure stocks. You had Ed Hatch, JJ Hatch, who ended up winning the championship, and which he still texts me about busting my chops all the time. <laughs> oh, you won the most races, but I won the championship. But um, I love it. Yeah, we had a lot of good. We had a lot of good uh, battles that year, and you know Al Relier and Doug Olds and I always had some good races in the pure stocks. And moving up into the pro stocks was. That's what I. That was my childhood dream: was a race pro stock, and um, that was a really cool feeling to be able to race with. Moving up towards racing with Rob Yetman, Paul Abershell, Robbie Speed, um, Jay Corbin, the Towsleys, really, uh, you know, everybody. Frank Twing. Mm-hmm. The following year, 2014, you did make the move full time to uh, the pro stock class. You didn't get a win, but you you did get a second place finish. Niska that year ended up giving you the rookie of the year for Lebanon Valley Pro Stocks. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, like you said, I mean you you grew up watching your dad. Now here you are racing against the guys that there's a lot of them that were in the class at that time, that were around and racing against your dad back in the day. Talk to me about that and realizing that now like you said it was a dream for you to race in the pro stocks and now here you are doing it on a weekly basis and a lot of times just beating the doors in on people that you know you used to watch in the grandstands yeah it's um that was a cool feeling um it was definitely different going from being a spectator of the pro stocks which was my favorite class to to getting in you know i look to my right and there's rob yetman and I look to my left, and there's Frank Twing, and we're going to be a sandwich going into turn three. But it was the most <laughs> exciting thing ever, you know? And um, it was cool. It was like, holy smokes, these guys, it gives you a whole new perspective from being in the stands to driving, like how good the guys really are that are driving, and, and uh, just a whole new respect, really. 2015, you ended up going, you and your, your team ended up going full-time like two track full time, you ended up racing at Lebanon Valley, and you raced at Albany Saratoga. You won at Albany Saratoga, and you did get a victory at Lebanon Valley. Mm-hmm. Just a little while ago, you talked about racing door to door to door, side by side with Frank Twing and Rob Yatman. Ironically, you were able to get your first win, and those are the two guys that finished right behind you. Frank finished second, Rob finished third. Mm-hmm. Talk about the fact that now here you are racing against people like that that you ended up watching from the grandstands, watching your dad race against, and now here you are, you're beating them, and you got your first win in in a really good race like that. Yeah, that's uh, I I relive that entire day all the time. Uh, <laughs> I've I uh, just it was a great day, and I, I figured I remember back in 2015. I was like, "Well, it worked last week, so we got to do everything exactly the same this week." <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts at nine o'clock. I'll meet you there, and so the whole crew we did that for the rest of the year. But um, we that that was a great night. Uh, Frank Twing was leading, and we uh, me and Yetman were we were trying to chase him down, and Yetman and I were swapping inside, outside, banging doors, and the caution came out on the white flag lap just as I was getting ready to, you know, show Frank a, a fender. And so, like I said, the caution came out. So green, white checkers. I'm in second. We're going to, we're taking the green flag. And a move that I learned from Frank actually is right in the center of three and four, 
just as you re like kind of get to turn your car just a little bit, if you just tap somebody just a little bit in the back bumper, they'll push just a little bit coming out the corner. <laughs> so you can get a good run. But he did it to me, and oh my goodness, it works great. <laughs> so I went down into turn three, and I I sailed it in there. I thought as hard as I possibly could, and Frank just kept it right. He didn't even care. He just he just kept it right up top, and he came hammering off the corner, and uh, he had the lead come down to get the white flag. I. I'm still on the inside lane. I didn't get all the way back up into the high side. Halfway down the straightaway in the back stretch, I set the car for turn three. And anybody that's been in Lebanon Valley knows that's too soon to set a you set think? a car every lap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So either Frank and I were going to clear or we weren't coming out of turn four and Yetman was going to win the race. Luckily... He checked up a little bit to put the crossover on me, which was another awesome veteran move that I was not ready for as a rookie. Um, well, it was my second year. I still call myself a rookie. I think Scott <laughs> Hamlin snap on put the yellow stripe across my back bumper so everybody <laughs> knew about it. But I, I cleared him, and and he put that crossover on me. It was a photo finish, and that was just an awesome night. We, you know, we we won the race and it was just a really good feeling to I finally lived my I've completed the dream of winning a pro stock race that I've had since that 2003 even destruction when my dad won you ended up over the next couple of years going and you ended up going away to college so that in turn stopped you from racing full-time at Lebanon Valley and and mm -hmm. obviously all the way to Saratoga 2016 you ended up coming back and doing some races here and there at Lebanon. There's one night that I remember in particular. I had recently taken over the promotion of the Langenbach Memorial for Jimmy Langenbach, uh, who had passed away uh, a couple years before. And if I remember correctly, my phone kept blowing up the entire week from, I believe it was you, <laughs> either through Facebook messages or text messages asking me what the weather was like, if it, what time the, the race would be, do you know when they're going to run it because I'm going to try and make it out there. Talk to me about that night because, I mean, obviously that one must have been pretty important to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and if you didn't answer me fast enough on Facebook, you were getting a text yeah, message. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's uh, the leg and back race was always a big deal, and uh, Jimmy – put a lot into the sport and into the pro stock class in particular. I know and, he meant a lot to your dad. Yeah. Him and my dad were good, good friends from racing. And, um, my dad, one of my dad's best stories is him and Legenbach were going into the last night of racing and, <laughs> uh, Jimmy came over and, uh, had like a fishing pole with a smoking skull with like incense burning out of it. What? He, yeah, yeah. He put <laughs> this over the hood of my dad's car, was doing some voodoo thing to it. <laughs> well, going out for the heat race, sure enough, there went the, the water pump broke, sent the fan right through the radiator of my dad's car, and cost my dad didn't win a championship. Oh my so, whatever God. Jimmy did worked great. But, <laughs> but you know, that's just one, you know, one of many I good stories. I did not know that one. Yep, just one of many good stories that you know jimmy has from from around the races i remember being a kid and going to the pits and he treated me just like anybody else and he didn't care that i was young and you know he just he talked to me like any real racer and it was uh 
it was cool. Well, and talk. I mean, talk to me about the night of that that race. I mean, because you didn't run that many races that right. year, but that that being a king of dirt race, that wasn't a handicap night. It was a you know. I mean, everybody was heat races, and I don't remember. I can't remember if it was a draw or not or, yeah. or whatever. But I mean, talk to me about the race. I mean, because if I remember correctly. At the end of the night, you were parked on the front stretch holding the big check and standing on top of your roof. I mean, you had been in victory lane, so I mean, that had to be a, ended up being a pretty good, pretty good night for you. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really great night. We had had problems with fuel pump. I was racing for UNOH on Friday nights in Ohio, and then every once in a while, I'd be like, "Okay, I'm gonna come home and I'll race." And we had some fuel pump issues at the beginning of the year. The week before, we ran the, the Super Dirt Car Series race for the Pro Stocks at the Valley and finished fourth, I believe. So I told my dad, I said, I got to come back. And the car's at its best. It's the Jimmy Leggenback Memorial. I, I got to come home and race. And he says, all right. So he uh, he always comes out to the races and watches me race at, when I race for UNOH on Friday night. So we both went home and got the car loaded up at – three o'clock we left five o'clock in the morning from ohio got the car loaded up and went to the races and just barely made hot laps and pill draw and register and everything we had to do so getting into the feature um i think we started like sixth or eighth somewhere somewhere back in row three or four and just kind of buying our time taking the the race was a little bit longer than a regular race um and with just a few laps to go, the caution came out. And it being a king of dirt race, we were double file the entire time for on the restarts. Corbin, Jake Corbin, who had like six wins that year, he was the guy to beat. He's on my inside now. And you look down, and that's, that's when you see Corbin, and you're like, how did he get up here already? Because you know he started deep <laughs> in the field. And he, uh, I was like, I got to be on it for this restart here. So I go in, I'm in third gear, I'm up on the wheel, I'm like, I got this. And I went to go shift in the, in the fourth, and I missed a shift. Went, I shifted into neutral. <laughs> so I finally got it in the fourth gear. I was in, like, fourth or fifth going into turn one. And I knew if Corbin got on the outside, there was no way I was going to be able to um, catch him again. So going into turn three, I think if you watch the video, you could see I don't lift until, like, three to three, or halfway to three-quarters of the way through the corner just trying to keep Corbin on the inside. I was either going to knock the fence down or it was going to stick trying to keep Corbin down <laughs> low. So um, I was able to keep it off the wall, but I ended up getting in the marbles a couple laps later. Corbin got by. He ended up getting up by, past Ruthier, and I was able to slip past Ruthier right behind him. And uh, Labrachelle and Corbin had a real good race for the lead, and they had pulled away, and then they started battling each other, which allowed me and, and Ruthier to reel them back in. And they got into a tangle, and I was able to get by them. And the caution came out because of their, their tangle that they had and with three laps to go. And Corbin was right on me going into turn one. I could feel him pushing my back bumper. <laughs> and you know when somebody's really fast and they're pushing on your back bumper and you're in their way, it's not really a good feeling. <laughs> but uh, the last three laps, I tell you what, he was on my inside, and we were banging doors all the way down the back stretch and – we came down for the, the the last lap going into turn three. It seems like that's just the, the famous thing for Lebanon Valley is the last, last, lap uh, last lap passes. And we went down into turn three, and neither of us were given an inch. And 
he hit me in the center of the corner, and then he'd come up into me a little bit coming off the corner. Well, when we got together coming off the corner, we uh, we hooked. So when he turned left to get off me, it hooked my car, pulled the rear of my car around, and put me facing the front stretch wall on the outside. So it turned me the opposite way of the way you ever want to be facing. And uh, I ended up hitting the wall head on, blowing the front stretch wall apart. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you yeah. broke the wall. Yeah. And uh, I ended up. I ended up winning the race, and it was just, it was clo- probably the closest race in Lebanon Valley history. It'd be like Mark Fleury, who's my un- my Uncle Mark, and uh, Brett Brett Hearn, dead heat. Uh, <laughs> nope, Mark Uncle Mark won that race, and uh, we got it. I remember it was really controversial. We're sitting down. I had a right front flat. My guys are changing the tire so I could go across the scales, and uh, they had, I think everybody in the pits was in the center of the, in the center of the track because it was crazy and they announced Daniel Sanchez wins the race and there were so many people I could barely get to the front stretch to victory lane through the pits just everybody was excited they were clapping beating up on the car just really (laughs) pumped up that we won the race and realizing that it was the Jimmy Leggenbeck Memorial which is always a special race any any win is special but you know when you have a memorial race about somebody that you knew and meant a lot to the sport and to your family that's that's an emotional victory and it was also the king of dirt race and i missed being home and it was great to see how excited everybody was that you know we won the race and it was just it was just a really good feeling and um rob hazer still picks on me because i shed a few tears but (laughs) (laughs) um damn it rob yeah i know i know (laughs) but it was uh just amazing it was amazing feeling i know how you know, excited my dad was, and it just, uh, it's a really cool race to win. I think that's still probably the best trophy I've, I've got, which is with the, the old buzzard on it, like Jimmy, and, you know, we've got it up, you know, in the house, so it's, it's awesome to have. At the beginning of the story of our podcast, I did talk to you. I said the first thing I ever remember you in was the four-cylinder. Mm-hmm. You've run the four-cylinder, the pure stock, and the pro stock. During the t- your time as a at, at Lebanon Valley, you also ran a sportsman car. Talk to me about that, because I mean, you only ran that a handful of times. Was that something you liked and didn't want to just didn't or didn't like and just didn't want to per- uh, pursue it anymore? Well, we had gotten the car from Jay LaMountain, and he had had it sitting in the garage for a while. And my dad's like, "Well, we should probably go through it," and we we, we did. We went over safety; everything was good. He said, "Well, I don't we don't have any torsion bars." Why don't we wait till next week to bring the car out? I said, "Come on, I'm excited. Let's let's bring it out." So, I find I bugged him enough that we finally got to bring the car out. So I went out in hot laps, and uh, anybody that's ever had bad torsion bars in a car knows that you're going to have a four wheel drift right up to the wall. The car is not going to turn, and that's exactly what happened. I I didn't hit the wall, but you know I just I couldn't get the car to get through the corner good enough. Went out in uh, the heat race, tried it again, started last, and. Um, same same issue. So we decided, let's just park it. We'll focus on the pro stock. We were right up there in the points. We ended up winning the pro stock race that night. That's the night um, I got by Frank Twing there for, for the win. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got new torsion bars. I ran it one, two more times, and we had the, the Mr. Crate Track USA, which is one of the biggest races in the area for the sportsman division. And I think they had over 60 cars there that night, and I drew a number one pill. 
Go figure. <laughs> so I'm stress- nothing like for a rookie. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> I'm stressing out the whole time, and my cousin Tom is at the races. And I said, "I'll tell you what." Artie Collins told me when I first. He goes, "I started on the pole in my first race, two of my heat race, uh, in a in a sportsman car." And Artie Collins says, "Don't worry, bud. That's what back bumpers are for." So <laughs> I said, "Okay, well, good point." So I put it right up there up front and. Sure enough, I did get hit in the back bumper a couple times, but we were able to hold on for a qualifying spot, and we made the Mr. Crate Track USA, and that was that was a big deal for us, too. Just We had no expectations of really anything. We were just having fun, learning as much as we, can, as much as we could. Granted, my dad raced a sportsman, too, so we had a good setup and everything in it. It was just a matter of me getting seat time. Uh, we finished, I believe, 16th in that Mr. Crate Track USA, but... With 35 cars starting to feature and, you know, nearly 30 cars not even getting to start the race, that was a big deal for us, and that was exciting. Over the next year or so, you stepped away from racing up here in the Northeast and moved your focus to running out in the Midwest with where you were with school. Mm -hmm. Um, That way you could kind of keep things a little closer and you could actually do a little bit more racing than you were the previous year. Mm -hmm. Um... I know you had a lot of fans from back here that were following you every week, finding out what's going on. And I'd say your decision to make the move was actually a pretty good one um, because the car that you had mm-hmm. and everything you were doing, you ended up in going out and at Lima Land. Uh, you ended up winning the Thunderstock Championship that year. Yep. So now here you are. Dad's a champion. Grandpa's a champion. And now Daniel Sanchez is a champion. What does that mean to realize that you now have carried on? I mean, as much as you've been trying to do your own thing, but you were able to carry on the tradition of a championship for the Sanchez family. Yeah, that's um, that's something to not on the grand scheme of things. Not many people win championships. So anytime you win it, it's not easy to win a championship. And yeah, it's just a really, really good feeling. It's something you work for all year long for your entire racing career even um and i remember just the last week i don't think i slept or ate anything uh (laughs) going into the races or going before the race and uh it was a it was a tight race we we had uh won the most races that year we won uh four times at lima land and it was nice because I still had Silly build my engines from back home. Everyone's like, who is this? Why does it say Silly on your quarter panels? And I'll, I'll tell you what. We, it works pretty good. And uh, um, going in the last night, Tony Anderson had two points on me. Going in, and we had heat race points also. That's what you get heat race points at Lima Land in the top three. So Tony and I both drew pill drew horribly that night. So we both started last in each of our heat races. Tony went out, and he had his heat first, and he won his heat race. And Tony Anderson is like the Kenny Tremont of our area. So it, that was enough pressure in itself. And then when he goes out and does his thing like he always does, I was like, great. <laughs> so <laughs> I started last and, and uh, in my heat, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. And I, it was weird. It was a weird feeling. It was just a different feel of the night. It was so much stress. And you had Jimmy's pressure. voodoo doll. Yeah, I know. I needed that. I needed that. He didn't. I didn't have it. I had gotten into somebody in the heat race, and it, it had wrecked the car up pretty good. I was still able to finish third, so I was got some points. But Tony had six points going into the the race in the feature, and 
I was real bummed out. I really didn't think I had much of a shot. I let my guys down, my crew down. So, which is really not a good attitude to have. So, we, everybody's like, it's all right, it's all right, you're going to be good. Yeah, I pulled up on the track, just not feeling like we had much of a chance. Well, my buddy Jordan Conover pulls up next to me, pulls right down, rubs my door a little bit, and he's looking over at me, and he exchanges some pleasure teas with his hands, letting me know what was up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that really that relaxed me there. I was like, all right, game on, let's go. So we're going. We, we race the whole race. I get by Tony with just a few laps to go, and it was only good enough for two points. So I still needed two more spots well we had it was Jeff Matheny was leading I'm in second Tony Anderson's in third Jordan Conover and Frank Palladino <laughs> are fighting for fourth well if you wanted to look at it this way me and Jordan were teammates that year and still are and and Tony Anderson and Frank Palladino were teammates Frank drove for Tony and so you had the two fighting for the championship of, up in front of them and the two teammates fighting behind us that are trying to get extra points for their teammate. So <laughs> it was a heck of a race. And with on the last lap, Jordan was able to catch Frank and get down under him. And Tony started slowing up. And, you know, my I couldn't see it because I was um, in second. But uh, trying to chase Jeff Matheny, but he was real fast that night. And he ended up winning the race. But Tony Anderson ended up blowing up going into turn three. And coach, really? yeah, of the last lap of the uh, of the of the year, he's got four points on me. I need two spots. Well, Frank doesn't want Jordan to pass him, so he's hauling the mail on the top, and Jordan's throwing a slider on the bottom. Well, Tony is trying to coast to you know the finish line, very Light and McQueen esque of trying to win the race. <laughs> you pulled out a Cars reference. I did. I did. It's a great movie. <laughs> but Jordan. Being wanting to pass Frank and Frank not wanting Jordan to pass him without realizing it. I mean, Jordan got by Tony, and without realizing what was happening, Frank got past Tony too. And that was enough to put us at a tie for the, we, for the championship. And I had won six times that year, Tony had won twice. So the tiebreaker went to the champion that, that, that that's what that they have for the setup and the rules there. So. I pull off the track thinking Tony finished behind me. I don't know any of that just happened. So I'm getting ready to go across the scales. They come over that receiver, and uh, Stephanie says, I need the 463 to the front stretch, please. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> so I you know, I go, and I'm, I uh, pull around to, to get back on the track, and it was like it just everybody. I think we had like 60 people there you know, helping us out. <laughs> It was just awesome. I came around the corner and they're jumping, screaming, and we won the championship. And I guess uh, uh, the announcer, he was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, if I can direct your attention to turn number four or turn number two, yeah, your 2018 Lima Land champion, Daniel Sanchez." And the place was crazy. It was so cool. It was like it was like a movie. You couldn't write it up any different. Mm. And that was like the best night of my life. It was crazy. I was finally, this is my champion, championship speech. I remember it exactly because it wasn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had been so stressed out all week. They're like, Daniel, how does it feel to win the championship? I said, I'm going to go to Applebee's. I'm going to eat a bunch of food and I'm going to go home and I'm going to get the best night's sleep I've had in a long time because <laughs> I've been so stressed out. <laughs> 
So, yeah, we all got our pictures taken, and we all went to to Applebee's and celebrated. And um, the next day, we had raced at Eldora, and I was my grandfather and my dad were both at the races that night. My mom and my sister, and uh, we, my cousin, we had, we had uh, a lot of family out too. The, the day we won the championship, so it was cool. We it was cool just walking down pit road at Eldora, you know guys that I don't normally race with, but I race without Eldora. They were congratulating me. It was just a really good feeling. And like you said, like you, the original question you asked me, how does it feel to be a champion like your grandfather and, and dad? And that was just really cool. It was, it's uh, almost like a part of the club, you know. <laughs> they initiated you. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> finally acceptance. No. <laughs> no, but no, for real. They, it was a really good feeling. I was glad they were both there. There's a really good picture of me and my dad and my grandfather at Eldora from that day, too. So really cool. Speaking of Eldora, that year, um, you were also named the Sportsman of the Year. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to know that there are tracks and your peers and obviously your fans that they, they think so highly of you for stuff like that? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be surrounded by the people I am and have the friends that I have. And uh, it's one thing to win an award for, for driving or, or uh, you know, your performance for the year, but it's another feeling for who you are as a person. And I, again, I didn't get to race with Chick Hale. It was a Chick Hale Sportsman of the Year award. He, they said he was the face of Eldora when he raced. He said, they said he was always smiling. He had a good time whether he did well or did, you know, if something broke, he was just there. And if he could help you out, he helped you out. Very, very much like how Jimmy Leggenback was. Mm-hmm. And so I could kind of reference it towards that, and I knew it meant a lot, and it meant just as far as the award itself, but to have the people. Um, in making this decision, think of me the way they think of me is is really special, and I really appreciate them. And um, it, it it really means a lot. It's it's a hard feeling to explain. It just well, I mean, you've got a lot of people even nowadays that that remember you as the kid that was racing the pure stock at Lebanon mm-hmm. Valley. I mean, like I said, you have a lot of people that follow you even out in the Midwest. They want to mm-hmm. keep on tabs on what you're doing. But I mean, so you mean you've got a lot, a really good support system behind you. I mean, mm-hmm. just talk to me about the fact of of having not only your peers but as many people that just want to see you do well and are, and are glad that you're doing as well as you are. Yeah, I'm incredibly fortunate for for the people that do care about how I'm doing, and it's such a good feeling that these the people from back home, like you said, they look forward to watching the races on Friday nights. We live feed. Fortunately enough, I have um, uh, Amber Smith live feeds all the the races for me uh, in Ohio, so everybody's able to watch and um, people that are just following it and they're they're happy to be able to just watch it and then they're happy for how how well we've been doing is is a really cool feeling that especially like my sponsors and stuff from back home they uh, they follow me out there and I the only real thing that they're getting out of sponsoring me from Ohio anyway is my online social media it's just having that support and like in an l auto body like that is so cool i've got if i had a um they changed the rules at eldora i needed a, a roof uh and all we had was a um a black roof and it obviously didn't match our blue car so i we brought brought a piece of sheet metal to nnl and we said hey can you guys match this up for us and they they painted it and when we went to pick it up they said don't even worry about it it's on us so i mean just people that just 
those things are so huge to to people like us and that it just uh it's a really good feeling we really appreciate everybody that's just one example of what what people are doing for us we really appreciate it last year uh, you moved to the ump modified ranks um and you had another solid year um not only did you win the dirt car ump modified rookie of the year but you were also the nascar all-american series rookie of the year for the ump modifieds in the whole state of ohio that's such a big accomplishment you know for only having being out at those tracks for a handful of years and only one year running those cars i mean mm-hmm. what how different is that kind of a car versus even your thunderstock or the pro stocks that you used to run oh yeah there's uh if you it's it's amazing how different everything is like uh just how much the rear ends move underneath the car and how much a it's a big deal to have a good suspension underneath your car it's a big big learning curve i think we've done pretty well with it we've got had a lot of good people helping us uh, todd sherman uh, has been great. Uh, he builds the Sherman Enterprises uh, Modifieds, and um, my, like I said, my dad is really sharp, and it doesn't take him long to learn. And as well as with me going to school, and we've we've had a good setup um, under the car all year, and we've just been trying different things and learning. And we uh, made the switch over from a lift arm car to a to a pull bar car, and the pull bar seems to work a little bit better for us. And uh, just really fortunate for it. I think it's just the racing community in, in general. The, the racing family is awesome. It You don't really have to know somebody that well to want to help them out. or You want people to run well. You want to go to the racetrack to have a good time. You don't want to go and nobody wants to go to the racetrack and be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, it's it helps when you've got friends and and uh, it just it's nice to have a good time. One of the big stories in regards to you this past offseason you made big news, especially for a lot of the fans back here. Um, you ended up entering the Chili Bowl Nationals mm-hmm. out in Tulsa. Yep. Um, talk about running a race like that, not only, you know, with as many different people as was there, but, I mean, just, I mean, the track is, it's it's a famous track, but, I mean, the event itself is, is known internationally. Mm-hmm. Talk about the experience of running the Chili Bowl. Yeah, I First off, I have to thank everybody that followed my blog and uh, Race Pro Weekly for for allowing me to do that. That was a neat experience. And um, when I first walked through the doors, I saw the haulers inside, and you know all the people. It didn't take long before somebody, Christopher Bell, walked by me, and I was like, <laughs> I said, I called my parents immediately. I was like, this must be what it feels like to make the big time. And they're like, it, it really is the big time. I mean, you're you're racing against the best drivers in the country from every you know, part of the auto racing. And I was like, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I had never raced a, a midget before. And so that, that was another big learning curve. And they were like, you have to go into the corner really hard to get the thing to turn, to keep, keep the wheel spinning and to turn through the center for you. So I was like, okay, well, at first I had my arm restraints, which I don't normally wear in my, you know, my full, my, my big cars. I don't wear arm restraints. Well, they had gotten hooked in practice, and I couldn't steer, so I had to readjust those for the uh, hot laps the following day or uh, a few days later. Well, they said I had to go in hard, so I was back in the thing, in, and it was not the fastest way around. It was not <laughs> fast at all. I was like, I was crazy. I was pulling wheelies off the corner, and and just, I was a mess. Um, so we went out in our heat race, and um, just 
Christopher Bell was in my heat race. What are the chances, you know? <laughs> you know, he started on the front row of my heat race. Well, if you actually, if you watch the heat race and you watch it just at the, just the last lap or so, you can see me crossing the finish line just before Christopher Bell for the checkered flag. So it kind of looks like I won, but it was just his cool down lap. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was just uh, the whole the whole experience was great. My uh, few of my friends that help every week, uh, Mark and Mark McCormick, Jordan Miller, they came out with my dad and. We got to uh, enjoy the week together at, at the Chili Bowl, and we uh, Rob Yetman was there too. Yep, what Rob what are the right. chances? I mean, it just and and believe it or not, and this obviously wasn't planned because we had no part in it. Our our crew, our teams just parked where they had to park. He was right next to me. <laughs> I sh- I'm I'm looking around. I'm there for a couple of days. I, Rob got there after I did, and I look over. I was like, I called him. I said, Hey, I think you're parked right next to me. So he looks over and he's like. You know, hey, so we, we got, yeah, it's crazy, right? You know, was like, he said, man, I come all the way to Oklahoma and I still got to park next to Sanchez. But uh, it was just a really cool experience. The Mounts Motorsports team are great people and they, they helped me out a lot. And um, we got to race the M main. Uh, they have alphabet soup and we, uh, we had started pretty deep in that. And uh, Rob actually was in that race with us. We were both in the M main. So him and I, are, I, it, you can't write this stuff up. We were battling for a transfer spot to make it up to the next feature in Alphabet Soup. We were throwing slide jobs on each other like we're at Lebanon Valley. And at one point, Rob went down so low, he hit that berm on the inside, and he was up on two wheels and literally on, like, the sidewalls of his right side tires and was up, and he passed me, and I was able to cross over, and I get by, back by him. And uh, I was one spot or two spots out of a transfer with a few laps ago, caution came out. And uh, I hit the gas coming off the corner, and I had uh, one of the IndyCar drivers. I'm forgetting his name. He was right in front of me. Uh, I, I hit the gas, and I felt my legs and stuff get all cold. Like I said, I don't think I'm, I'm – I must be flying right now because my legs are freezing. And, <laughs> well, I ended up getting past the IndyCar driver and finished, finished the race one spot out of a, tra- a transfer spot. And what happened was – the one of the fuel injector lines came off and it soaked me in alcohol that's why i was cold and that's not a good smell to be breathing in really either the fumes are not good from the alcohol but it was just a really good experience and at that point it wouldn't have mattered if i transferred or not because i was completely soaked head to toe in alcohol so i wouldn't have been able to you know change quick enough anyway mm-hmm. um but that was a really great experience very fortunate to again have the people and the the sponsors that i have backing me that we were able to do something like that unfortunately now with 2020 things have kind of aren't haven't really gotten even to start yet mm-hmm. what do you have planned or what was the things that you had planned to go for this year i mean you obviously had some things that you were planning on doing talk to me about your plans for this year well our goals have always been to uh at some point we want to race a late model whether it be a lucas oil or just racing you know if, at eldora <laughs> i say just racing at eldora like it's a given like that's awesome to be able to have that opportunity but uh we're working with uh kryptonite race cars uh tyler carpenter uh most of you probably seen him uh seen him win the uh gateway nationals mm-hmm. and uh they're real nice people. Kyle and Brad Moore uh, are their new dealers as far as their their modified programs going, 
and we're wanting to work our way into hopefully moving up to one of their late models, but we're, we're getting a, uh, a modified from Brad and Kyle Moore that they've put together, built by Kryptonite, and uh, we're really excited to do that. Uh, we're, we're soon, uh, as soon as we get this motor together, or the car together, the motor's already in, as soon as we finish getting the car together, we, um, we're planning to test and tune, if possible. I know some tracks in Ohio and Indiana are testing and tuning, so we should be able to do that. And um, as soon as they start racing, we'll, we'll go race. And um, Tyler is going to be right there, you know, with us, Tyler Carpenter, and uh, doing test and tune. And uh, it, that'll be a really cool experience to have. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that. If I remember some of the stuff that you gave me from your plans for this year, you talked about you're going to try and chase the entire UMP, trying to become a UMP national champion. Yeah, we're um, the UMP national points if you race at any ump sanctioned track you can get points for ump national points so there's 18 different racetracks between ohio and indiana that are within our radius of travel that we can go to so um we were planning on doing that and it looks like some i mean it's, it's really hard to guess we're all guessing at this point when tracks are going to open but i know atomic Speedway, they have their schedule starting like June 30th, I believe, and they're still going to run a full season. They're going to run 21 races right clear into November. Uh, so it's neat to see that some tracks are planning to extend the season into later into the year um, to hopefully still allow us racers to race. I know the track owners like racing just as much as we do. So Schools, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you got, what did you say, five weeks worth of classes left, but mm -hmm. school is over. Um, with the world basically at your fingertips, what, you know, talk to me both professionally and racing, what, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I mean, what, what do you, what does Daniel Sanchez have in mind for the future? Uh, there's a, there's a lot. There's a, I'm a very indecisive person and I went, to, <laughs> I went to school for something that's got a variety of options. I went for marketing and business administration. I should have just went to be something specific because then I would know what I want to do. But with with the marketing, I'm able to hopefully you know market our racing better and um, kind of get some of those um, big big sponsors uh, like Kyle Strickler or somebody like Brett Hearn has that they're able to do it for a living. And um, I'm I'm in the process of trying to figure out how how that would work and I'm working with stop tech brakes and uh, Gorsuch um, performance parts and Randy Keen um, to kind of figure out like he's helping me out with my brakes this year and he's our new brake parts provider and um, I kind of was running some ideas by him about what he thinks and and he's got some good ideas so it's very it's a very early stages I guess still I, it's it's very difficult process I guess it's um, coming up with the funds to race full-time and you know being able to provide for myself um, as a you know young adult uh, it's, it's going to be a big learning curve I've been fortunate enough to work with Starcom Racing um, Quinn Huff is uh, uh, the rookie in the NASCAR uh, Cup Series this year and I've had a great experience working with Starcom and um, Derek Cope is actually a big part of the team. Alicia Cope is my boss, my direct boss, and uh, 
Tom Legeman's a spotter, but he's I got to meet Tom Legeman through the American Marketing Association at UNOH when, mm-hmm. when he was the marketing PR director of ARCA, and now he works for Starcom Racing, and um, it's it, really cool to be able to meet somebody like him and Derek and Alicia and the entire team and, and have that kind of an opportunity, too. I would really love to work in NASCAR. I know the feeling I had this year for the Daytona 500 was different than I've ever had. Um, <laughs> one, because we got to watch it with our with our buddy, Pauly, um, who had been battling cancer. And uh, that it was good to be able to watch the Daytona 500 with him. And, and um, But also to have a, a, a car on the racetrack like i felt like i had that you was know your car yeah that was i felt like i was a part of it like it was our thing i i couldn't have, couldn't be there but i was still helping out you know where i could and uh that was a good feeling so that was like okay i think i want to do this so i think uh i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna put my feelers out everywhere i don't want to um limit myself too much but i really don't f- limiting myself to nascar i mean like that's crazy to even have the opportunity to work in nascar that's awesome right so it's not really limited but just want to see all my opportunities because i have a lot of them at school and um you know everybody's really provided me with a good opportunity to go in several different directions so i just gotta gotta see where i think i'd best fit and um, see what i can do i end all of these podcasts with word association so i'm going to give you a name and I want you to either tell me the first word or the first phrase that, okay. that comes to your mind. Obviously you've talked about racing door to door with him for a, for years and even did it back in January at the Chili Bowl. Talked about Robbie Upman and what comes to mind. Champion. Uh, you know, he's got a ton of championships and I also think uh, rival would be another one. Like, <laughs> he was a rival of my dad. Every time we went, to, you know, you had, I think, I think Yetman had the the goblin on his car from like Spider Man or something there, yeah, or the Green Lantern, Green Lantern, Green Lantern. yeah, the Green Lantern. But uh, you know, he and my dad always were, were they always had good rivalry uh, when I was growing up as a kid, and it was like the classic dirt track rivalry where it was those two guys up front, and you know, you had Jimmy Legan back up front, and uh, it's cool to be able to race with you know Yetman. He's I would consider him right up there at. If not the best, he's in the top three for sure in the, in the Northeast Pro Stocks for sure. One I didn't even think about until you started talking about it. You said you still talk to him a lot nowadays. Talk about Phil Wood because a lot of people don't realize the fact that Phil was pretty rough around the edges when he was racing. <laughs> um, had the tombstones on the back of his car with everybody's number on. Did he ever have a 463 on the back of the car? He he didn't, but I told him if he kept it up, I was gonna have an '82 tombstone <laughs> on the back of mine. It was gonna be upside down, tipping well, over. Well, talk to me about Phil Wood. Uh, really, really nice guy. I uh, you growing up cheering for him and uh, finally getting to meet him, and just he was real nice and he's got a very distinct voice. He's got that real raspy voice and like. <laughs> He really plays the part well of the of the so-called bad guy. The you villain, know? yeah. You have the villain, right? So that was just really cool to, to be able to meet him. But he's such a nice guy, and I go and I talk to him, and he calls me on on Sunday mornings, or I'll call him on Sunday mornings. We talk about the races from the night before and how I did that weekend. And uh, when I'm home, uh, I go and visit him, and um, we get to talking, just uh, catching up and everything. So uh, really cool. The next one I've got is not really a person, 
one thing we talked about is the fact that you have such a great fan base from here in the Northeast. Talk about, I mean, all of your fans. You know, I mean, when I talk, when I say there's a, a, a Daniel Sanchez fan club that follows you everywhere you go in Lima Land, Montpelier, Eldora, but it's a lot of them are from here. I mean, what does that bring? I mean, how much joy does that bring to you? It's 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 a really cool feeling, and I don't I never take it for granted. I mean, I it's a very special thing to have that you know as as many friends and and that I have and people that are cheering me on, and it's just real. It's a really it's hard to describe just like how much I appreciate it, and it's a really good feeling, and um, I appreciate all of them and I hope I'm making them proud by the way I represent myself and our racing from the Northeast and and uh, hopefully going forward into the future last person somebody is very close to you when I say your dad yep. when I talk about your dad what what's the one word that conjures up any any thoughts in your mind about your dad superstar that's what i would say my dad he's just he's good at everything he does and every he gets along with everybody i've never seen him i don't think he dislikes a single person in the entire planet it's just <laughs> he's he's always literally the best at, at everything he does and and if he's not the best when he first starts it doesn't take him long to get up top to where you know it's it's something good and he's just uh he's a leader and he's really showed me a good way of of leading a good life for for myself and I'm do everything I can every day to make him and my mom and the rest of my family as proud as possible and I'm extremely extremely lucky to have the relationship with my parents that I do I love those guys more <laughs> than anything else in the world so I just got to thank them as I always do one quick shout out I, I didn't get to talk about him here but um, Mike Hogan he helps us out a lot every week he lets us use his shop and uh, when they broke into our shop when I had somebody break into my shop in Lima um, they stole all our tools and stuff. He called me right up the next day with, with no questions asked. He said, hey, I've got tools. I've got parts. You just bring your stuff down here. Him and his son, Brian Hogan, they race UMP Modifieds. And I'll tell you what, him and his family are some of the nicest people you could ever meet. And I'm just extremely grateful I got to meet them and as well as many other people like the Conovers and, and the Shermans and uh, people that I've met in Ohio. They're just a lot of great new people that I've met in my life. All right, Daniel. Thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Yeah. Kind of fun. Thank you. Daniel's one of those kids that, listen to me talking about kids. He's just one of those people that seems to always have a smile on his face. Nothing gets him down. And there's no doubt in my mind we'll see him on the national stage someday. I can't thank him enough for being on the podcast this week. And don't forget, you can catch all things Race Pro Radio on Spotify, the iTunes Store, or even our website. New shows are always being added including the new Track Talk with Dylan Friebel. Be sure to check it out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're staying safe and come back next week. But until then, this has been The Slide Job here on Race Pro Radio. Mm-hmm.